The Artificial Intelligence Podcast. AI in real life. Like I've mentioned before, I grew up the daughter of two engineers. I'm a theoretical physicist myself. As you can imagine, my world is one of numbers, hypotheses, and clear-cut, correct or not correct answers. You know, God doesn't play dice and all that. It's been quite a switch from science to creation, from a world where people's first question is, can I see the raw data, to one where we simply feel what's the right thing to do. You know how they say the grass is always greener on the other side? I can definitely confirm that it hasn't all been rainbows and butterflies. That media, especially legacy media, has its own rulebook, its own heartbeat, its own language that I'm only beginning to grasp. But isn't that what life's really all about? The journey rather than the destination. As sentimental as this may sound, I'm 100% convinced of these three things. I'm finally working on products that I absolutely love. I'm learning every single day. And every single day, I still have a long way to go. My name is Liao Wang, and when I visited the World Summit AI, sponsored by Microsoft, one thing everyone talked about was the need for translators. In the context of AI, but also technology in general, how translators are crucial in bringing together the technology side and the business side within any industry, really. Joining me is Natalie Helberger, professor of information law at the University of Amsterdam, who I want to be like when I grow up, because she's one of the most likable, eloquent, and well-dressed people I've ever met. Natalie is what you might call a translator between technology, news media, and her users. And she's here to teach me how to become fluent in both science and the language of media. I'm heading a large team that does research on the use of uh, data and uh, machine learning in, in the news media. We also do research on political micro-targeting and health, and we see interesting parallels there. But our main focus is really how do we use technology in the news media and how is technology changing um, the operations in the news media, but also the relationship with users. And what are the big things you're seeing there because we know a lot about the technology that's moving media forward but how does that affect the users of of media and of this technology well we see um, major transformations in the way uh, people use the media and find the media and consume media content so they do that more and more online they do it more and more on on their terms and conditions they're more and more used to being um, served upon their own interests and and They're also more and more looking for, for tools to help them to find relevant content. They use social platforms more and more because they offer them these tools. Um, and we see that um, users are um, very appreciated of, uh, appreciative of these new technologies. They are also scared in the terms because it's new. There's a lot of issues about privacy. Um, but overall, um, we see a lot of... Um, positive expectations towards uh, the right. technology. So what would you say are the, the biggest worries that users are dealing with right now? Well, we did interviews uh, and surveys also here in the Netherlands and in Germany. And um, I think there are several. So f- first of all, they're of course about privacy and about this being tracked and surveyed non- nonstop without you knowing. Um, there are issues about missing out on important information. So if, if I consume news on social media or in personalized news, do I actually get a full 
diversity of content or not. FOMO, even in news. Yes, exactly. And and there are also concerns about um, profiling very specific. So I think the major concern that we identified is that you're being put into a drawer and a particular stereotype and don't get out of there, whereas your own interests are, of course, much more diverse. And, uh, but that you um, get a sticker on your head. Um, that mm, you're the, the fear of the, the fil- filter bubble. That's part of the fear of the filter bubble. I think it's more. It's also the fear of being... Um, that my interests are narrowed down to what I read online. That's a small part of me. Right. It doesn't reflect your whole person is almost exactly. what, what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. So wh- how do you feel media companies and media technology should deal with this? Well, I think um, that digital technologies offer a great opportunity to actually deal with these fears um, and so far much of these fears about filter bubbles about being stereotyped is actually about um, not very sophisticated technology so technology mm-hmm. that simply has very click metrics or focuses on popularity metrics whereas if we would uh, move on to uh, adopting more sophisticated metrics of, that are able to reflect in a better way of heterogeneity of our interests I think technology could be a very important tool to address these concerns. Right. So technology isn't actually the cause of these worries. It's immature technology that's causing these worries. Yeah, I think, for example, the filter bubble is simply um, simply a bad recommender design. So can you give me an example of good recommender design and how that actually breaks through the filter bubble? That's really interesting because um, in our research we talk a lot to media companies and we see a new generation of of media companies that think very seriously of how technology could better fit into their editorial mission and how they could um, use technology to inform users more broadly and more diverse. And we we are having very interesting conversations with them of how technology we could use to to better inform citizens and to make better news products. Do you see media companies already putting that into practice? Um, There's experimentation going on more and more. I think for a long time we simply focused on... Uh, very simple metrics like popularity metrics and and keep in mind that these technologies are we we took over from from behavior advertising industry which was very much about matching the right consumer with the right product Mm. but i think now we start having a glimpse of the potential of the technology and start discovering and i see our first experiments and, and for experimentation also here in the netherlands and actually we cooperate with some media organizations on building more diverse uh, recommender metrics. So what do you defines a recommender system that is diverse and and that gives the user uh, what he or she wants rather than you know create the filter bubble or create putting someone in a drawer? It's an excellent question. Um, I think um, several things. I think a div- more diverse recommender system will start out with a better understanding of what, uh, what diversity is. So diversity could be serving me with different contents, but diversity could also be serving me different viewpoints about the topic or serving information in diverse formats because we as users are very diverse in how we consume information. Maybe you like text, I like pictures, others prefer videos, some long text, short text. Right. So I think also here we could diversify much more of um, the, the recommendations to be able to reach more users. So the first step is actually very clearly defining what your editorial mission is. Is yes, that correct? Absolutely. And to what extent do you feel media companies have this 
clarity to what extent do you feel like that's already there versus it's something we now start thinking about because we have to teach our technology to do this I think this is something that we, especially in the Netherlands, only start thinking about uh, now. And uh, we start having good conversations also between the tech departments and the editorial rooms. But these are very early days. And I think we need to have more of these conversations because you can't make good recommendations without linking back to the editorial mission of, 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 a, of a news outlet. So I imagine you've seen many of these conversations, both sort of in very mature digital media companies and very early stage, perhaps. How, how does that typically go when you put a data scientist and an editor in a room together and ask them to figure out their editorial mission? Yeah, interestingly, and that is something that, that always uh, surprised me, is many of these conversations are actually initiated by the tech people, by the data scientists, and, and not by the editors. So it's very often the data scientists reaching out to the newsroom and asking, so what, what do you think? What should be there? What, what, what is a good selection for you? So how should we program our metrics? And uh, I think it's very important to, that these are conversations that come from two sides. What do you think is the cause that it's driven by the tech people rather than the editorial people? Excellent question. I think for part, it might have to do simply with technology and, and the fear of technology, but also knowing what technology can do. I think news and making news is a, is a very uh, has a very long tradition and, and with a lot of focus on, on human expertise uh, and technology was not never really prominent in, in the making of that. And uh, I think I also see a lot of fear of technology that, that it leads to filter bubbles, robot journalism, that it would replace journalists. So there's often also a rather negative attitude towards uh, tech. And uh, I think that that makes it more difficult. Another thing is that we often see that, for example, the, the tech department or the R&D department and the editors are sometimes even at separate buildings, mm. which makes conversation, again, much more difficult. So it's not that they usually bump into each other. They live in two very separate worlds. And I think being aware of these differences and, and starting to build bridges is a very important uh, precondition for uh, using tech for better journalism. So do you have an example of, you know, maybe a conversation you were part of of an organization that you've seen where these bridges were built and people started to understand each other? Well, I, one example I have is that we um, we are thinking, of course, as a research project already longer about these issues. And uh, we organized a workshop last year, bringing together um, journalists, researchers and, and data scientists and, uh, and, and try to facilitate this conversation. And I think in the beginning it was a bit uneasy and you saw the different groups sitting apart. But uh, in the course of the day, you really saw them mingling and talking to each other. And um, as a result of these conversations, there um, has become um, um, a new project was born uh, that looks into actually um, editorial practices and ethics uh, together in cooperation with one of the news organizations. Another project was um, developed uh, to build a more diverse uh, recommender tool. So you see how much put creative potential is in, in these joint conversations. Just by bringing them together, just by physical proximity almost. Well, by bringing the right people together who, who are actually open to these conversations. And these conversations, did they, it sounds like they truly understood each other. How 
Did you make that happen when tech people and editorial people come from such diverse backgrounds and, like you said, also speak kind of a different language? Like, are you a translator and can I hire you? <laughs> I think um, creating a atmosphere of of, 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 of trust sounds cliche, but it's really important so that... Um, Um, taking away these 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 fears of the other side, uh, fear of technology and, and and doom scenarios, having someone who is a mediator can help a lot as well. Who who's able to to talk to both sides and 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 have a feeling of when extra information is needed or when we need to take a step back and explain things or try to get us on on, on a common language. Um, And, and at, for, to some extent, we see this also as our role as, as researchers to, to be facilitators and translators and, and to feed this debate with um, information and, and relevant information and, and depolarize it also. Yeah, yeah, and, and to clarify it for both sides almost. Yeah. Both sides almost, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I, I think research has an important role to play here. So what kind of conversations would you like to see happen? What are the questions that the tech people and the editorial people should answer together? I would like to see much more conversation about what is our editorial mission? What what do we want our relationship with the audience to look like? And how could technology help us in that? What do you think? What what do we think? What kind of news should our audience read what news it would appreciate to eat what kind of role do we want to have in guiding users and helping them to find content because this is really important for the kind of metrics that we then um, implement in our recommenders so what really strikes me about that is that you put the user the end user in the center of the editorial mission, you talk about how to guide your users, what kind of news your users are interested in, what kind of background your users want. In my experience, a lot of editorial missions are more about the creators. You know, what do we feel is the right way to find truth and bring it to the outside? How do you match those two viewpoints? You want to find truth and not bring it simply to the outside. You want to bring it to the users and you want to make sure that the right people get the right information. So I think the the, 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 the relationship with the press and the user has always been there. We, we do not report simply because it's important to report, but we report because we feel it's important that society gets certain information. What kind of the information this is is part editorial judgment, but it's also part dependent on what I as a user need and, and find interesting and, and will read. And the fact is, I as a user can't read everything. So uh, there have to be made selection um, on the level of editors, but also myself. And I think if technology can help me um, to, to make better selections, I think this is very important for both the user and the news media. I don't see this as an exclusionary relationship. I think we have, um, but but rather as a complementary relationship. We have the general news offer, a newspaper, and and we have the additional opportunity to draw attention to particular issues. For example, with recommendations, um, and I think both can complement each other and reinforce each other, and together um, give me uh, even better information. So the, the way I hear you talking about it, it's almost as if you're unleashing the journalist, giving the journalist even more tools rather than limiting them. I definitely see these technologies as extra opportunities uh, in the editorial toolbox, yes. And what is, you know, you as a researcher, you're of 
a fly on the wall in all of these conversations <laughs> and all of these processes. How do you see the creators react to, to these opportunities, you know, coming from where they're coming from? Um, I think we could see more constructive reactions or more positive uh, reactions. Um, or I think we could so see more initiatives to, to explore the potential of, of these technologies. Um, at the moment, my feeling is that there's a lot of um, yeah, fear in newsrooms or um, caution with uh, doing um, things that could be bad for uh, the reputation of the news media or, or for journalists. And I think the filter bubble discussion is a really good example because what we see a lot in our conversations is that newsrooms are um, scared of uh, launching these technologies because obviously they do not want to create filter bubbles or uh, enclose their, their, their users in echo chambers and very rightly so. The point is that if you have a good vision of how technology could help your editorial mission, this doesn't need to be the case. I think to the very opposite, you could actually burst filter bubbles. And that, I think, comes back to what you said earlier, the, the need to build bridges between the technology and the editorial side. How do you do that? You know, what would your advice be to me, working at a media company, you know, in this day and age, to build that bridge? Start talking to each other. Uh, start learning your languages, um, start learning, understanding um, on the one hand the, the potential of technology, but also on the other hand the potential of better insights into what good journalism is, because this can be a very exciting source for new metrics. So I think both sides can learn a lot from each other and, and we should start facilitating these conversations. And how do you um, connect the user to those conversations? The, the way the project is set up, we um, talk uh, with newsrooms, but we do also extensive research into what users think about uh, recommendations, what, what are the concerns, what are their expectations, what are the hopes. One interesting, for example, thing is we saw that in our interviews, almost all users agreed that um, at some point that they will need more tools to help them find relevant information and not only in their private life but also in their professional life. Another interesting thing is we saw that um, to some extent users also trust algorithmic recommendations um, providing the their fears of, of privacy and diversity are covered. So we also try to uh, understand better the user side and, and feed that knowledge again in the, in, in the conversation. And, um, and we also test our, our, our research findings and our tools that we develop with users to, to create a good feedback loop. Right. So, so in those conversations with tech and editorial, you're almost the voice of the user. We very much try to bring in the user perspective, yes. And one thing that really surprised me in your research is that you found that the user, you know, in terms of privacy and how much data they expect an organization to um, to collect from you, they basically view everyone as being as bad as, as Facebook. And that is a very... Um, I'm happy that you bring that up because what some, something that really striked us in our research is that we found that for the user... Everything out there is one big cloud of, of, of trackers. Um, so they do not really distinguish uh, between uh, platforms, between e-commerce sites, between the news media. And I think that the news media have so far failed to, to take an opportunity to distinguish them themselves from uh, social media platforms, for example, that 
at the moment have a very bad reputation for uh, collecting personal data. And I think in the perception of users, ideally, uh, they would trust the news media to uh, deal in a more responsible way with the data, which of course goes both sides and also means that, that news media have to think of how do they want to earn the trust of users and deal responsibly with this data to distinguish themselves, for example, from uh, certain large platforms. Right, so so how we deal with data and the transparency we give to our users, also in terms of our algorithms, that's a differentiator, if I'm hearing you. It should be a differentiator. I think it's a differentiator. I think it's uh, the uh, opportunity for the news media to distinguish themselves. Um, and I think it's a necessity if we want to keep and earn trust of users in an online environment. Are we still... In time, after everything that's, that Facebook has done to, to drag all of us down? Um, I think timing couldn't be better because people now are aware of how wrong it can go. So I think we are in urgent need for good examples now. And what do you feel is then sort of end game, the right balance between editorial judgment, user you know, wishes or needs and um, technology possibilities? I think the end game is that we see recommendations as another part in the editorial toolbox um, so that we do not simply have a front page, but we also have a part that knows what users, individual users are find relevant and are interested in what kind of news would help them in, in their societal professional role as user. Um, so that we have a balance between content that everybody should see and content that really helps me For example, in my role as university professor or in my role as um, team team leader of the hockey team to actually do my role better and, and also serve, serve my interests. Yeah, but also, so, so that, but also if something happens with Brexit, for instance, that you wouldn't miss it because it of course. happens not of to be course. relevant for your job. Yes, Yeah. but also because it's news that we still all... Sh- should see. So I also don't see this as an exclusionary relationship. It's either everybody his own newspaper or the general newspaper. I think it's 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 both. So technology can can add on the existing uh, news offer. Um, if you could give me working with data and algorithms at at a legacy media company, if you could give me you know your top advice to do tomorrow, what would that be? Have a, have a really long and good talk of what you think is your role in a digital environment and how technology could help you in shaping your relationship with readers. What's our role to play in the editorial mission? Yes, and Tikia. <laughs> According to Natalie, we have to build bridges. And that starts with listening, to understand rather than to convince. To our editors, our techies, and to our readers and listeners... All of our voices matter and all of them should be heard in order to unlock the full potential of AI. Together. The OG AI. Meet Gertie. Hello, friends. I'm a smart computer. You'll be born again, but not as a baby. Gertie is the GTRA supercomputer from the Netflix series Maniac, starring Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. Their characters, Annie and Owen, partake in a mysterious pharmaceutical trial where Gertie plays a major role. Not only is Gertie a supercomputer, she's the key in the pharmaceutical trial as she's your companion in your journey towards a healthy brain, sanity, depending on what you're suffering from. 
The series is a trip, as one could experience a drug-related trip. Even the way the story develops isn't like anything you might have seen before in a television show. You see, nothing in Maniac behaves exactly as it should. That's the point the creators want to interrogate the idea of normalcy. Which also applies to Gertie, the supercomputer, the AI put in place to help these people. Oh, and that opens a world of possibilities. I coded the safety net and installed it deep within Gertie's neural core. It was a simple idea. I thought it would help the AI protect the subjects if they got in danger. What was the concept? Empathy. Just a tiny little bit. You gave my computer feelings. Just a tiny little bit. So, as the season is upon us and we can hibernate on our couches under a blanket and binge away, consider this show. A brilliant, most different series where you can join Owen and Annie on their path to recovery and where you'll see AI as you've never seen it before. I think we have a serious problem. I think our computer is horribly depressed. I'm committed to making us better, more relevant, more transparent. I want to listen. So find me on social or at bnr.nl slash AI podcast and tell me your view on what we can do to improve your day or perhaps about a time when we disappointed you and how we can be better. I'm looking forward to hearing from many of you.